G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. And wonderful to have you along with us. It is the Tuesday edition of 2020 and today looking at global trends with none other than the global trend expert who is Chuck Nessler. And uh, while it might be just before 10 in WA, just uh, or just after 10 in WA, just after 12 here in Queensland, in the daylight saving states just after 1, it is in fact 9 o'clock at Atlanta, Georgia in the US. And Chuck Nessler is joining us from Atlanta. Hello, Chuck. Welcome back to 2020. Nice to be with you, Neil. Chuck, thanks so much for staying up late tonight and uh, talking through some of these things that are going on with regard to world trends. Uh, You've got your finger on the pulse. Uh, You're back in the U.S. for a series of meetings. Uh, Things going well for you? Uh, Very, very well. In fact, uh, incredibly well. My wife uh, has been here for the better part of a year fighting cancer, and we've just received word that the latest scans indicate that it's uh, that uh, she's clear. And so this has been a big day for us. Well, that is very, very good news then, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Uh, many people who follow our ministry, of course, know, Nan's, uh, uh, know us through Nan's many books. And so she's, uh, we've added the whole world praying for her. And uh, we now can report, uh, apparently, uh, uh, a marvelous, marvelous clearing. The latest scans show that it's all gone. And we're very, very excited that the Lord has intervened in a very marvelous way. So we're, we're just uh, singing his praises today. These days, Chuck, home for you is actually in New Zealand, although yes. you've been spending yeah, that time in the base, U.S. We've had our traditional base in Idaho, and that's still there. But we have a second base in New Zealand, right in the middle of the North Island. And that's also where we have uh, the headquarters for our think tank, and we have resident students now, and uh, very much... Uh, very actively making that a base, uh, not just for New Zealand, but it'll be our, our primary outreach to uh, Asia. Well, Chuck, thanks so much for joining us today, because we want to talk about the global trends that you've been monitoring so closely and uh, the way you've got your organisation, K-House, set up. Uh, it's just made for gathering intelligence and information that uh, checks the progress of global trends on so many areas. There are a bunch of global trends you like to look at. Uh, which are the prominent ones at the present time that people perhaps need to be aware of? Well, probably the most, imp- obviously, uh, the Middle East is what it always is. It's quite a cauldron, and one needs to have that perspective. But probably the most dramatic changes that seem to be on the horizon has to do with the instability of the financial environment, especially involving the United States. Uh, the the uh, unbridled debt that has accumulated over the years through the, the various politicians' commitments has created a debt load that is, uh, has made the United States technically uh, bankrupt. And they're trying very, very hard to create the, uh, the illusion, if you will, of a recovery 
because there are some statistics that are starting to show some promise. But the real reality that lies behind the scenes, and there's there's a, a very close to, uh, panic in a lot of boardrooms because of all of this, is the debt that the United States has incurred uh, is uh, beyond their ability to acquit it. So and, how um, serious is that debt, and uh, what does that mean for the nations of the world, including us here in Australia? Well, it, it, the good news for Australia, I believe, is that Australia is primarily a commodity-based economy, and they have plenty of things that other people need, especially Asia, and Asia pays cash. So the good news is that uh, uh, Australia is among those that's uniquely blessed that way. But the industrial West in general, meaning Europe and the U.S. especially, but especially the United States, the United States, I believe, is uh, the least prepared for the kind of turbulence that is coming. And uh, that may sound uh, uh, like a, a strange view because there's pe- so many people that are trying so hard to create the impression that there's a recovery in progress. The truth of the matter is the United States has for too many years uh, been spending more than it earns. It, ex- it imports more than it exports. And the, differ- that the difference between all those things is, of course, debt. Now, the United States has become the world's largest debtor, and even the interest on that debt is one that they can't, is getting beyond their ability to carry. The real problem we have is that most people don't know or realize what a trillion is. There's a new word in our vocabulary that's a trillion, that's with a T, okay? We're used to talking millions and billions, but trillions is just sounds like you know more of the same. And the best way to dramatize what I'm trying to get across is let's talk about seconds, like 60 seconds to the minute and 60 minutes to the hour. Let's assume that I owed you some money, and I told you that I'll pay you what I owe you in a million seconds. You get your calculator out, and you discover that that's not bad. That's only 12 days. A million seconds is about 12 days. You can live with that. Whereupon I say, oops, I'm, I misspoke. I'll pay you not in a million seconds. I'll pay you back in a billion seconds. That's with a B. You get your calculator out, and you discover that that's 32 years. In other words, going from million to billion is equivalent to going from 12 days to 32 years. But then I interrupt a third time and say, whoops, I misspoke a third time. I'll pay you back what I owe you in a trillion seconds. And that turns out to be 32,000 years. Now get the feeling here. When you go from million to billion to trillion, that's equivalent to going from 12 days to 32 years to 32,000 years. And we're sitting with a country that claims to have, in fact, it's burdened by a direct debt of about $17 trillion, except that's only a small part of it. The real, If you look at the unfunded liabilities in addition to the cash commitments, you're looking at an encumbrance of over $200 trillion. And anyone that does any of the math begins to realize that that will never be repaid with any kind of legitimate currency. And so the credit world in general is beginning to realize 
that lending money to the United States is uh, is a uh, uh, is a, uh, a difficult credit, and the the problem the United States has the government spends uh, has to borrow about forty cents of every dollar it spends. It spends about two hundred million dollars per hour, seven days a week, uh, three hundred sixty-five days a year. Uh, that that accumulation of debt is enormous. And as you start doing the math and you start looking at the real numbers, you begin to realize that there is a, a, a huge, huge uh, uh, debt burden here. And the, that gets more complicated when you realize that the Federal Reserve has been able to maneuver things to have a very low interest rate at the moment, almost zero. But that obviously cannot endure. And as that interest rate starts to increase, it quickly throws the federal uh, deficit uh, to the wind. It's going to get worse and worse. So the point is there's some really, and I'm, uh, it's over just a few sound bites over the radio like this, it's hard to get a message like this, you know, uh, uh, cogently communicated. But the net of it is that there is a cloud, uh, a storm cloud brewing over the, and, and the United States, uh, well, uh, it isn't going to have this alone. It'll affect everybody on the planet Earth because the credit credit worthiness of the United States is increasingly going to be called into question. The way of life that has become uh, taken for granted in the in the United States is something that's in huge jeopardy. Chuck, so there's, a, there's a turmoil. There's a a, a storm brewing. Let's talk. Uh, uh, let's talk some big picture issues here. <clears throat> Where okay. this challenge is there with the United States, and uh, there are predictions that you're making of the decline of the United States, of the rise of Asia, and uh, talking about the Asian century. Uh, even predictions of uh, potential war between uh, the U.S. and China. Uh, when people look at uh, the way that trends are going, are those things uh, are things uh, are they feasible to be thinking about those sorts of things? Well, I don't think that uh, I don't really see the threat of armed conflict as being the primary uh, uh, theater of concern here. I think the 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 uh, the, mach- the basic economic machinery is very, very much favoring the Asia in general, and of course uh, China in particular. And uh, so, the, 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 while one analyzes the United States carefully, you realize that we no longer we import more than we export, we spend more than we earn, and uh, that's a, that's a, a, a such a consistent trend for so long. It's really digging the United States into a deeper and deeper hole. In the meantime, in the meantime, China is playing it very smartly. They have, a, they, despite some of the, they, there are people that are critical of some of the things that they're doing. But the truth of the matter is, they're uh, able to grow at significant percentages. You can argue whether it's seven or ten percent. It's it's growing uh, handsomely. They have uh, uh, incredible challenges. But they seem to be dealing with those challenges uh, very, very directly. And the economic growth of Asia will speak for itself. And uh, so the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the rise of Asia in general uh, is just a reality we need to face, whether you're talking about technology or whether you're talking about uh, um, 
uh, just the, you know the raw economics and so forth. The, the thing that's disturbing is that in the United States, the average person there is really very unaware of those realities and, uh, and probably least equipped to deal with them. Uh, people in Europe are, uh, are more uh, have, a, have a, a history and an involvement that equips, equips, excuse me, equips them uh, more, more effectively for the, the, the future they're facing. But uh, even though they've got, they've got serious problems in Europe, too, obviously. Mm. But what I'm saying is in the United States, I, I'm concerned with the United States especially because the lack of awareness, especially over the, the average uh, uh, citizen, uh, is just not oriented to world news in general. And, and their their particular predicament, uh, uh, So the, the, anyway, the net of it is is that that's one of the concerns I have, especially as I look at the challenges um, to the church. There's a there's a uh, a real <laughs> uh, our primary concern is is, is the uh, the plight and the and the uh, challenges to the the serious Christian. Well, let's talk about some of those links to Bible prophecy that you are renowned as a teacher of when it comes to world trends and how Bible prophecy appears to be worked out in the world. In fact, we're inviting listeners to participate in our conversation. And uh, if you have a question or a comment you'd like to make, the number is 1-800-880-876. And we've got a, a, a listener who's uh, on the line. Uh, we're uh, welcoming Leonie from Cavendish in Victoria. Hello, Leonie. What's your Hello. question for Dr. Chuck? I certainly have. And um, Dr. Mister, thank you very, very much for all your hard work and, and that of your team. You are a real blessing to Christianity throughout the world. Um, I'm curious. I, it suddenly came to me. I, uh, I'm, I'm really concerned about the uh, Muslim threat uh, throughout the the Western world, particularly with Sharia law coming in in certain enclaves in uh, Britain, and I'm, I've never been past Kangaroo Island in my life, mind you. Um, but I'm I'm curious. Do you believe that the Antichrist will be Muslim and Muslim leader? Well, there's a lot of good arguments in that direction. Joel Rosenberg and others have really done a remarkable job publishing in that direction. Um, we have just published an electronic version of the expectations of uh, six different groups, the, the Muslims being one of them, uh, the Vatican, strange enough, being another, and, uh, and so on. You discover, very interestingly, that each of these different groups, whether you're talking about the Vatican or whether you're talking about the Muslims or whether you're talking about the Freemasons, they each have a distinctive expectation towards the end times. And what's amazing as you look at the details, how they, in a very strange way, seem to converge. And so that's a, a topic that's a little too complicated for a few sound bites on the radio. But clearly, clearly, the challenge of Islam, uh, to, especially to the West, is a serious one. And uh, to those that hold to a uh, Islamic Antichrist can muster a great deal of support, from the Scripture even, and uh, that's why Walid Shabbat and some of those spokesmen are uh, have a, are very able and have a, an articulation of their own that's uh, quite provocative. 
Thank you. I personally tend to believe it's going to be a little more complicated than that, mm-hmm. especially since you, rec- you need to recognize the strange convergence going on between Islam and the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, uh, the, the scenario, uh, I think that the, uh, we've been advising most of our senior uh, students to, to do their homework, continue to do, do, uh, do their homework and study the, the prophetic passages with a, as open mind as possible, but sp- stand back and watch, because I think we're going to be seeing some interesting surprises. Mm-hmm. Clearly, yeah. the, the rise of uh, Islam is, is the, one of the fastest growing factors on the global scene. But on the other hand, I think it's going to be more, uh, more complicated than that. And uh, the fact that the, the Vatican is, is, is uh, preparing itself, strangely enough, to receive an alien visitor okay. is too bizarre for words. I, I know it sounds strange if you haven't gotten into that background there. Okay. But the, uh, the Vatican uh, Observatory Research Group, headquartered in southeastern Arizona, is very serious about what they're doing, and these are highly technically capable people that are seriously involved in, uh, in expecting to receive an alien visitor. And you discover then, when you start peeling that onion, you begin to discover that for the first time in the history of the Roman Catholic Church, you have, Je- have a, Jesuit pope, uh, a Jesuit pope. And so there's, there's, there are some changes going on uh, behind the scenes there that requires some pretty specialized insight. Tom Horn and Chris Putnam have done a book called Petrus Romanus that uh, uh, was published uh, over a year ago that predicted that the then-sitting pope would abdicate. When he did, of course, that threw that book into the front pages, of course. They've done a second book that is remarkable in its uh, scholarship and and, uh, quite a challenge. It's called Exo Vaticana. And strangely enough, it gets into... The, uh, the whole UFO thing and some of that stuff that, it, it, that is a, a, a very, they've done an outstanding job researching an area that's probably the toughest area in the world to, to uh, competently research. So uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, there, are, there are aspects to that, that question that go far beyond just a few sound bites. Mm-hmm. Clearly the challenge of, uh, of Islam is something that every Christian needs to be very alert to and, and equipped to uh, to articulate properly, okay. but, it's, it, but I wouldn't oversimplify it as, as I think. To, to, I think it's oversimplifying it to uh, just to see a, a uh, you know an Islamic uh, antichrist. Liani, does that answer your question? Yes, it, it does in part. I, I found it fascinating um, that uh, Prince Charles has said that when he becomes king, he will not only be a leader of the Christian faith in Britain, but all the faiths. And I, I find that rather alarming, actually. So I can, I can see the way it's globally going. Um, and to me, when I look at the way uh, the Islamic religion tends to adapt itself, it uh, has a, a way of, there's that undercurrent of nastiness. But at the very top there, of course, the publicity is that, oh, we're a peaceful religion. And this That's is a lie. That, that you raise something very clear. That's a lie in two different ways. It's not peaceful. The whole Quran mm-hmm. is a warrior code yes. for world conquest. Yes. But the second thing is not a religion. It's far more than that. 
it's not only just a religion, it's a legal system, mm -hmm. it's a military agenda, it's about seven different things. Paul Hammond in his book really de details their agenda and how they're going about it. So you put your finger on a very key thing. We do need to understand um, that it's a, it's a, a, a leg legacy of hate. You're on 2020. It's Neil Johnson with you. Our very special guest is Dr. Chuck Missler, who's on the line with us live from Atlanta, Georgia in the United States. We're talking about global trends and your opportunity to uh, pose your own question or make your own comment about the types of topics we're talking about this hour. When it comes to global trends, you can call us on 1-800-880-876. Chuck Missler, in that last segment, we started talking about world religions. Uh, you mentioned Islam. We mentioned uh, even connections there to the Vatican. But there is some very sinister things happening when it comes to an emerging global religion or a philosophical viewpoint that dominates all others. And this is even a bigger concern than what we might think about uh, when we single out religions. Yeah, very much so. I think there is a, uh, a reality we need to face uh, there was a very beloved Bible teacher for many, many years uh, called J. Vernon McGee, and many people, especially in the United States, uh, are very endeared to him because he had quite an extensive ministry for many years. But he made a, he made a prediction more than 20 years ago that, was, that is uh, beginning to echo in many uh, comments today. Uh, he predicted more than 20 years ago that the Bible Christian, the serious, biblically-based Christian, um, will eventually, in the United States, have to go underground. Now, that didn't surprise many people, but he added another remark that startled many people. He says, not only will the biblical Christian have to go underground in America, but the attack against him will come from the denominational churches. And that, when I first heard that, I was startled, because J. Vernon McGee was not one of these fringe guys. He's a very centerline Bible teaching guy that uh, that is many people you know are well acquainted with. Uh, he wasn't, but at the same time, um, his remark I discover was incredibly perceptive. There was a book out that was published in 1931 by a guy by the name of E. H. Broadbent. That's one word: B. R. O. A. D. B. E. N. T. Uh, it was out. Of, it went out of print for many years, but through the uh, encouragement of Dave Hunt and others. It's back in print again, and I was startled. It's called the Pilgrim Church, and what Broadbent does, he chronicles the history of biblically oriented groups from Acts chapter two, from the from the the the, uh, uh, the from Pentecost as we call it, all the way to the twentieth uh, uh, century, and uh, it's amazing to discover as you go through history you discover there always have been groups. They're always named by their enemies, by the way. Uh, the Waldenses, the Abages, the uh, Anabaptists. It turns out there's, there's over 70 of these that he details of them through the years. And what you discover, each one of these groups were people that simply wanted to stick with the Bible and believe what the Bible taught. And each one of these groups ultimately gets wiped out by the local churches, the established churches. This isn't just a Protestant-Catholic kind of thing. Uh, most of us are familiar with those tensions. But it's uh, even where, uh, where other churches became very, very powerful uh, in a secular sense. They ended up uh, taking on the home groups, these small groups, and, uh, and snuffing them out. 
And it's astonishing to discover that there's a long, well-established history here of uh, people that are what we, what we think of today as a home Bible study. Small groups meeting in homes during the week to see typically to supplement what goes on on Sunday, or some in cases to replace it. But the point is, uh, uh, one of the things I've discovered in my 65 years as an active Christian, where I see people grow spiritually, is in small groups during the week studying the Word of God. I'm not, don't misunderstand me, I'm not against local churches. I think that's great, and, and they have a very, very key role in our community. But it's interesting that the real teaching of the, 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 the Bible, expositionally, occurs during the week in small groups, groups that are small enough where someone can ask questions without embarrassment, groups that are small enough to hold, where people start holding themselves accountable. It's a, a very uh, an, a very interesting... Now, it also turns out, though, that form of fellowship is also the most resilient to persecution. It's efficient, it's lowest cost, and it, uh, it also tends to so, uh, deal with the leadership problems and so on. So it's, there, there is a trend that I think we're going to see more and more of. I see it across the country in the United States. Also, when I did that 12-city tour through Australia, <clears throat> I, when, I, when, I was at, when I take the platform, the first question I'd ask the audience is, how many of you are studying the Bible in a small group in a home during the week? And I was startled to discover that almost invariably, 70% of the hands went, would go up. And I, I attribute that uh, to, obviously the Holy Spirit is very active there, but Ian Warby and the whole gang at UCB is doing an incredible job, in my opinion, uh, to encourage that, getting people to really take the Bible seriously, to really repair the biblical illiteracy that's so, that's so prevalent uh, throughout the, 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 uh, the Christian world. It's one of the. That's probably the main thing that we try to do with the, with our think tank, the uh, the Coyne Institute, is try to deal with uh, uh, repairing, if we can, the the biblical illiteracy we find, uh, uh, not just in the pew but in the pulpits, and so uh, uh, I think that the I, what I tend to see happening is that I think the Lord is raising up a form of of uh, worship and instruction and, and fellowship that is uniquely tailored to an environment that was going to be increasingly under persecution. One of the things that, one of the realities that I think we need to understand is that the true biblical Christian is increasingly going to be marginalized by the secular culture. And in the United States, that's, a, that's even true of the ecclesiastical world. It's astonishing how difficult it is to find churches that really preach the gospel. And when I say the gospel, I mean in a technical sense, that, uh, as Paul defines it in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and he rose again the third day. What's fascinating about Paul's definition of the gospel is what he doesn't mention. He doesn't mention Christ's teaching, or his miracles, or his example, I'm not disparaging those, but the gospel is the mission that he achieved, that his primary mission uh, uh, on the earth, which was to, to, uh, 
to uh, take our place and pay off, pay up, pay the price. Chuck, we need to understand that. Is it fair enough to say that it's not just Christians who run that risk of being marginalised because of levels of intolerance, but uh, any of the world religions uh, that are uh, considered uh, to be uh, uh, out on a limb and uh, not tolerated uh, because of this rising secularism? I, I think. I think. No. I, I frankly think the uh, the. Uh Prince of the uh, Prince of the Power of the Air is Satan, and I think that the Christian is uh, and and the Jewish uh, believer especially are special targets. I think that there's I think that it's amazing how you can uh, 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 go through uh, cultural environments and find people uh, uh, not marginalize not marginalizing uh, Islam, not marginalizing Buddha. No, no, I don't. I think I, I, I think the the thing that's the number one list of terrorists in the United States are fundamental Christians. They had they had the list of Department of Homeland Security. Astonishing enough, no, I see I see the biblical Christian as being the primary target of that marginalization, and I think that I think that's going to increase. And I say that from a perspective that I think the whole thing is a stratagem of Satan in the first place. And that's what he. I don't. I don't think he's concerned about uh, uh, these non-biblical belief systems. I think he he'll encourage those. And uh, but I think the the uh, if 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 the Bible is correct and if we understand it, if we understand the role and mission and achievement of Jesus Christ correctly, uh, that's the target that Satan has. And uh, and yet that's the calling that. You and I have, and uh, uh, so Christians Jesus are Christ, there in the firing yeah, line. Uh, Chuck, Jesus Christ, yeah, Jesus Christ is not a concept or or a a, a, a tradition that's you know useful. No, no, he is alive, and he's a king, and he's going to take his throne, and he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. And I think we need to really understand that and recognize the reality of that, because that's really what we're called for. Chuck, let's take another listener call. Ray from South Australia. Ray, what's your question for Chuck Missler? Yeah, uh, hello, Dr. Chuck. Um, yeah, just what you've been talking about. I'm coming in from way out left field on what I have to ask. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, I've been reading quite a bit from a uh, political lobby group lately about the uh, rise of the European Union and and where, and the... the position of uh, the British royalty in that uh-huh. and we're what? part of, of the you know we're a, we're a monarchy nation here so um, part of that uh, English royalty what's uh, what's your belief on there on the European role in, in these latter days well I think it's part of a broader role towards globalism I think we we clearly have global problems, and those global problems are going to be approached with global solutions. So there is a tide of of, uh, of history forthcoming uh, towards globalism, and the Bible has talked about that all along. When you when you study the visions of Daniel chapter two, Dan, Daniel chapter seven, and so forth, uh, clearly we get a, a a perspective from the biblical scriptures. That there will be a move towards a uh, uh, ultimate tyranny, an attempt at ultimate tyranny, at the end, mm-hmm. 
And that's a reality, I think, that we can begin to see forming. I wouldn't jump too quickly to try to predict, you know, try to, to, to uh, paint specific pictures from what we see. But I think we've all been guilty over the last 20 or 30 years of uh, jumping the gun on what, what uh, God seems to be doing. But at the same time, clearly, we are moving in the direction of what's classically called the end times, and we shouldn't be surprised to see various forms of globalism surface. But the tide of power on the planet Earth is continuing to go westward. It went, it went from Mesopotamia, uh, you know, then to, to Persia, then to Greece, then to Rome, and then we got to the 16th, 17th centuries, which was really the, the era of northern Europe, if you will. But uh, then we, but that tie, that uh, that moved that centroid of power moved to westward to the United States, and clearly the 20th century was dubbed the the American century, and by Henry Luce and others, and that was, uh, and clearly it was, and yet, and yet. The centroid of power is continuing to move westward, and clearly the 21st century appears to be emerging as the Asian century. And I don't mean just China, but clearly uh, Asia is going to have its day in the sun, so to speak. But it doesn't stop there either. We know it's going to migrate back to where it all started. When the God sets up his kingdom, it's the fifth in a line of five kingdoms profiled in Daniel chapter uh, uh, two in the in those uh, uh, in the idioms of, of that chapter, and we all we always we overlook the fact that uh, there is a not four but a fifth a fifth kingdom the kingdom that God Himself establishes in in uh, in the climax of uh, Daniel chapter two. So uh, th- that's an area strangely enough that's an area that the church has had a tendency to to, to not teach or push on or to recognize or acknowledge. Yep. When we pray, when we pray, uh, 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 you know, Thy kingdom come in the Lord's prayer, Thy kingdom come. I, th- I suspect there's not one Christian in ten that knows what he's praying for, and that, that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom. He's a king with a kingdom, and it's going to. It's got geography. It's got subjects. It's going to. It's coming, and that's. Uh, it's it's uh, that's that's on the horizon. Ray from South Australia, thanks so much for your question. Let's move on. Another listener, Craig in Horsham in Victoria. Craig, what's your question for Dr. Chuck Missler? Uh, hello. Hello, Chuck. Can you hear Hi. Me? Hello. Uh, I'm just, uh, just, I've listened to you all the time. Thanks for your, your teaching. Uh, I follow your teaching a lot. Uh, Acts 17.11, you know, observe, try and observe things, but the main questions was, um, you know what's concerning is the, you know the um, observing the Sabbath and um, the same-sex marriage, and uh, is that like uh, the homosexuality? Was that the? I think that was um, the downfall of the Roman Empire, wasn't it? The what brought the Roman Empire down, wasn't it? And well, I didn't quite. What, like what's your, what's your, I didn't get what your question is. Uh, basically, just um, you know, observing the Sabbath, you know, and the same-sex marriage. They're two separate questions, yeah. Well, let's take one thing. Wait, no, those are different subjects. The same-sex marriage is not a biblical concept. It may be popular in certain in, in certain political environments on the, uh, <laughs> that we, in the secular world, but clearly uh, the same-sex marriage is not a biblical concept. Quite the contrary. Uh, God describes a, a specific judgment upon any culture which fails to acknowledge him as creator, of all God's jealousies, his most primary, his primary jealousy 
is as the creator of the of the universe and he actually has prescribed a specific judgment on a culture that fails to acknowledge him as creator and that judgment is profiled for us or summarized for us in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to 32 and i always thought that that was a uh, an area about homosexuality no it's not it's actually three times in that passage God says, I will give them over to that which is not convenient. It describes a judgment of God, as a, which is a response to failing to recognize him as a creator. But you know, the same-sex marriage uh, is, is an issue that uh, many Christians have, uh, have allowed to emerge on our culture, which is clearly a non-biblical concept. I don't see that as linked necessarily with your question about the, uh, the Sabbath. The Sabbath... Is the is clearly the seventh day, yes. the seventh day of the week is 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 a is is technically the Jewish you know, the Sabbath, but uh, but the Christians have an advantage they can worship on any day they like because uh, that that's the freedom we have in Christ, and uh, uh, but uh, and and trying to put ourselves under the law is a whole another topic to get into but but uh, uh, I I don't think I. I I'm not sure I've responded to your question because I'm not quite clear as what specifically your question was. Yeah, I'm just trying to explain that, um, you know, the Sabbath, you know, a lot of people seem to work on the Sabbath, you know, the Saturday and don't observe it. Don't, you, know, like, you know, a lot of businesses, you know, they, they, they open up, you know, they don't close down, they don't observe it properly. Well, are, are they, they under the law? They have, to, they have to work, you know, six days a week and have one day off. And they don't do well, it. We have we we most of us get two days off. We have a Saturday Sunday concept in most oh, of yeah. our cultures. But but the, the the there's a lot of confusion emerging among some Christians because the Sabbath is the seventh day. Seventh day is not Sunday. The seventh day is Saturday. Yes. And uh, of course the the seventh day Adventists make a big a legalistic, a legalistic thing about it, and I don't go that far. But we do need to recognize that uh, there are certain things in the Scripture that are very Jewish, and the Sabbath is clearly one of those. And clearly it's a wonderful day to acknowledge the Lord, the, the Lord as our Creator and so on. But be careful with that one. If you're a real Christian, you're free from the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So trying to keep the Sabbath in the sense of keeping the law can be, ter- can be turned around to be a denial of Christ's completed work on our behalf. So be careful with that. It's not, a, it's not a simple issue. It requires some very serious study. It's Neil with you. Time is precious this hour. Our special guest all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, where he's on the phone, Chuck Missler. And we're taking some calls. Your opportunity to ask a question, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six is our number. Bridget from WA, what's your question for Dr. Missler? Yeah, hi, Dr. Missler. Um, just firstly, just wanted to say thank you um, for dedicating your life to the, you know, the detail of the teaching in the Bible. So God's revealed so much to me um, just through listening to you um, on Vision Radio. And um, yeah, my question today was: I, I've heard you mention a few times about the Vatican's involvement in the end time and the end time prophecy, and. I don't know if you could explain it in a nutshell very quickly. I'm just really interested in that or even just um, direct me to the best resource to um, be able to understand all that. Well, there's some, some real interesting materials out. There's a book called Exo Vaticana by Tom Horn and Chris Putnam that does a fabulous job dealing with a very difficult area. 
but clearly we want to be aware of what's going on because I think there's some big surprises coming. But you know, in this in this uh, hour that we've been together, with the, there've been a lot of questions. Um, I wondered I was going to ask Neil if I could ask a question. <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. The question I have, I believe those of you that are listening, that are Christian, if you're not Christian, for heaven's sakes, find out what that's really all about. It's the most important decision of your life. But I suspect most of the people that are listening to this uh, would, identi- would identify themselves as Christians. And to those people, I have a question. Have you discovered your calling? Many people don't realize, I, I believe that everyone that's saved is saved for a specific purpose. And the great adventure in life is to discover what that calling is. And one of the things we needed, especially as we move into the world that we're moving into, that we're moving into the end times, where we're going to be, all of us are going to be challenged. We need to understand what our calling is and then prepare for it and be effective at it. And one of the questions I love to ask is, okay, if you're saved, great. What have you done with it? What have you done uh, uh, for our coming, uh, coming Lord? And pray about it, find out what it is, and get about it, because he's, he has cr- called you to a specific mission. And, and uh, I wouldn't presume to even guess what it might be, but it, he will make it clear to you as to what he's called you to do. So roll up your sleeves and get at it, because it's, we're moving into the most exciting adventure of, of human history. Chuck, and we need to be prepared for it. Is there a sense in which uh, we have context when we appreciate uh, this great commission? Uh, we have the kingdom of God uh, unfolding and uh, and moving around the world. When we have context, uh, then we can put all of these sorts of things about the end times and understand them, and then apparent and then uh, and then uh, seek out those things that might be our own personal calling. Yes, exactly, and I think we have each of us have a, per, a personal ministry. We need to find out what it is, and it may be very different than the usual stereotypes. And I think that uh, that uh, there's some exciting. There's a lot of that's that's really what the the Coyne Institute's all about is to prepare to help people pre- prepare themselves for what I call to be to be a spiritual entrepreneur, and uh, to to uh, and Paul uh, supported himself with his vocational skills. Uh, and uh, he had a, he had, it's interesting to, to to study the life of Paul as a spiritual entrepreneur, and uh, interesting it gives you a whole different perspective of ministry in my mind. But I think we're running out of time for now. Uh, Bridget, thank you so much for your call from WA. Uh, Jenny from South Tweed in New South Wales, what's your question for Chuck Missler? Um, in the Bible, it talks about from beginning to end, or what's leading up to now. Of Jesus coming back again. Um, one of my sisters used to be an ex Jehovah's Witness, and I had Jehovah's Witness come here all the time. You're trying to sort of say this, this, and this. And it's like in the last verse in the Bible, it talks about not adding or taking away from this prophecy. Why do they think us Christians are out of line because of that scripture? Because in their Bible, it says the same things. Chuck, a, a question there about uh, adding to or taking from the Bible and uh, and the differing beliefs between what biblical Christians might believe and perhaps some groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, they 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 twist they, they, the Jehovah's Witnesses 
create their own translation and twist it to meet their own ends. Uh, the the text of the scripture, uh, they're really uh, it, it's it's very straightforward. And in today's world, you can study the the Bible in its original languages without knowing the original languages. With the computer skills we've got, uh, you can study the Hebrew or the Greek. Um, with the uh, with the software that's available, and that software is, is free of charge. So the, the 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 real issue is: Do you take the text seriously or not? If you and we t- we take the text uh, seriously in the sense that we think it's infallible, it's without error, and we're talking about the original autographs when we say that, of course. But the point is that the 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 uh, the differences uh, there there aren't really justifiable differences. Uh, in the text themselves, the difference is, is is your interpretation of that text, and that's something that gets into the whole area of hermeneutics. But I, I, uh, I think the uh, uh, the the biblical the, the the real issue for all of us is to get biblically literate to really understand what the Bible really says, and the best way to do that is to read the Bible. And uh, uh, there are plenty that we uh, we lean heavily more and more heavily on the International Standard Version. That's the newest one. It's the only one that really takes advantage of the Dead Sea Scrolls. But again, the differences between it and, say, the classic King James um, is one of style, not really one of uh, specific interpretation. And the new, some of the 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 International Standard Version reads more comfortably, quickly, uh, smoothly. At the same time, we really still link most of our scholastic studies to the King James. Uh, because it's got the majesty that's never that hasn't ever been exceeded. But the main reason is all the scholarly treaties uh, use it as a frame of reference in the first place. So for someone that's really serious in studying the Bible, he's going to he's he's going to link himself closely to the word itself. Jenny uh, from South Tweed, thanks so much for joining us today on Twenty Twenty. Chuck, we're running out of time. Uh, just before we say goodbye, though, uh, any chance of seeing you here on Australian shores anytime soon? Uh, I sure hope so. Uh, I, I'm going to be returning to New Zealand probably in another month or so, and uh, have my base now in the north, in the center of the North Island. But I would uh, welcome opportunities to pop over and participate uh, with uh, with activities, uh, especially you know uh, Australia is really a, almost a local uh, zone for us. So I'm looking forward to doing more with you people, and. Uh, uh, and we'll continue to pray for the ministry, the, the Vision Radio, you betcha. And let's talk about uh, your website, uh, khouse.org. Uh, that's where you've got a, a listing there of like the top yeah, 10 also, global tw- tw- global yeah, trends. We have a special website called kitrust.org. That's the the local one, really, the one for the, the region there. Koine Institute is KI, KI Trust. It's a New Zealand trust that it's all under now, uh, kitrust.org, and that's uh, that tends to have all the uh, uh, you can get almost all anything we do is, is streamed on it, and uh, there's there's uh, I think something like 700 hours of teaching that's available and and so on. You can I encourage you to check it out kitrust.org, or the U.S. base which is uh, khouse khouse dot org, and. Uh, and I look Chuck, forward to being with you guys. I must say, uh, just uh, once again, a tremendous news that Nancy has an all clear on those uh, cancer uh, issues that she's been facing. And uh, I know that there'll be people all over Australia who'll be thrilled to hear that and also keeping you and Nancy in their prayers. And I so, really appreciate that. It's their, it's their prayers that made it all happen. 
And it is getting late where you are in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'll point people to, uh, of course, 6640, which is on air here on the Vision Radio Network in just over an hour from now. Uh, So, Chuck, uh, once again, thanks so much for being with us today on 2020, and we look forward to a time in the very near future when we might be sitting face-to-face, and we'll do this again, and we'll take some more listener calls from around the nation. I'll be looking forward to it too. Thank you, Neil. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.